the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ab number 225 for Monday, November 2nd, 2009. <laughs> Greetings, folks. This is John. <laughs> Dave. Hi, John. How are and you? Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ab number 225. We just thought we'd, you know, keep you on your toes here. So I am John F. Ron here. I am in Fairfield, Connecticut. And, and on the other end, we have not one, but two distinguished guests. We have Dave Hamilton in Durham, New Hampshire, and probably Pilot Pete. Greetings, folks, and welcome. There it is. Hey, guys. <laughs> it's good oh, to be gosh. back. Yeah, man. It's been a long time it since we've had the, had the three of us here. Yeah. You've been in a big metal tube for a while. Not that Too many times. <laughs> yeah, so we've got, uh, we've got some stuff that we didn't get to last week, John. And then we've got some stuff that we won't get to this week, because that's just how, uh, how we roll. <laughs> and uh, and that's just how it's going to go. We're just you know we've just we 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 get uh, as you folks probably realize we get lots and lots of uh, info for the show, e- email, voicemail, uh, voice Boat memos, loads. yeah, Skype stuff, eh, Twitter messages coming in, and try to aggregate it all and and just sort of roll it into a uh, a rolling conversation is really what it, what it kind of becomes. So uh, today, John, I wanted to start off with our our tips, which we kind of skipped from last week. And Jim wrote in, uh, we had been talking about finding, I guess it was when you and I were out in Las Vegas for Blog World Expo, John. Mm-hmm. We were answering a question about how to find any file. With Spotlight. With Spotlight. Or not. That's right. And, and we've, that's where, where this hinges on. Yeah. And we've talked about a couple of other solutions uh, here and, and also ways to customize Spotlight, which we talked about, uh, I think, last week. And Jim wrote... I did a search for third-party solutions and found these two, which work. I tried both of the following on my fairly new MacBook Pro under 10.5.8, and they both successfully searched the entire hard drive. In the case of find any file, which we will put a link to, when the search was done with root permissions, it successfully found files in other users' directories. So there's find any file, which is a free solution, and then a commercial solution called Foxtrot, which Jim says seems a little more complicated and does not offer any better results than the free solution. So uh, Foxtrot is at foxtrot.ch and find any file is at apps.temple.org. But we'll put links in the show notes. And of course, Michael Johnston of iPhone Alley will put the links right here in the enhanced AAC feed. So we're uh, so we're good to go. So thanks, Jim. That uh, that find any file. I, I played with that a little bit, John, uh, last week, and it, it seems to work great. It, it it leads me to a, a tiny tangent, and then we Go. will get back on track. But in general, I think we've spoken about this in the past a bit, but how you organize your information is, I think, important. Um, Apple and Windows, uh, Microsoft and others have suggested a, a layout which has, you know, most things in a root folder, and then, you know, going down to pictures, documents, movies, things like that. And some people follow that, some don't. The, the people that don't, you can tell because... A lot of times I see this at work when somebody hooks their machine up to a projector, their entire desktop is full of icons. That is poor desktop management, in my opinion. So just to toss a little, uh, in this case, though, it was looking for a preference file, which is not subject to this. But just in general, I think, you know, have have a, you know, somewhat coherent strategy about what goes where. And and I think their guidelines are, are usually pretty good. I, yeah. I organize my stuff along with Apple guidelines. And yes, my, my desktop is a bit of a mess, but it's usually stuff that's near term. And I just want in front of me rather than archiving. Yeah. So. I put it, I put a folder on my desktop that I call kill me. Uh, and <laughs> no, really. And, uh, and if that's the folder that I, if I need to create some temporary file or do some, you know, put some archive in there and unzip it, something that I'm going to do, you know, I, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to walk away from it until I'm done with whatever that, data is important for I do it there and then that way it does sort of linger but I also know that I am free and clear at any moment in time to completely wipe the contents of that folder out without Excellent. having to think about it yeah so so tangent back on track but I, I thought I mentioned it because I've, I've seen uh, as of late a lot of you know I'm working with you know new employees new interns stuff like that and, and I see some of them and even you know people that have 
been around for a while, not necessarily computer people, you know, right. kind of, you know, fall into this trap of where's my stuff. And <laughs> it's a big problem. Yep. So anyways, moving on. All right. Uh, Jason has a tip to share with us. Hey, look, it's our friendly stutter uh, audio time, isn't it? Uh, but we've we've paused and got through it. And now let's try Jason's comment again. Hello, John and Dave. This is Jason. He just had a quick comment about the Mac Mini with the USB ports not working. Um, I have seen this before on other Macs, um, and different user would result in the same thing. Booting from an external hard drive that has a good known operating system on, or maybe just a basic install of Leopard or Snow Leopard, and if it doesn't work then, then you pretty much can say it's hardware. Uh, but I have seen it where it hasn't worked with the internal hard drive and the OS that's on it, and then it does work when you boot from an external. So something else that the user can try to see if it actually is hardware or not. Thank you very much. Bye. So thank you, Jason. Yeah, that was in, in regards to the comment uh, from two weeks ago about uh, not having uh, about a potentially bad uh, USB port and uh, and booting or at least attempting to boot from a hard drive that is uh, has a full OS on it from a, a USB port seems to be the magic, the magic litmus test, if you will, to make sure that it's going to work. Now, the only thing that occurs to me is um and it was just something in the back of my mind because I've had this happen before, is if you create what we would call a generic drive, I believe there is still, and maybe this is not the case, but where if you create an external boot drive, all the drivers required, assuming, let's say you do a full copy of the drive, say from a portable onto an external drive, and then you plug it into a desktop. I don't believe there's an issue any longer. I, I, I think no, I had I, this problem in the past where... If you try, and, and for the most part, it works. It works fine. I, I think maybe there's some ma- minor mismatches with like, you know, display or print drivers and stuff. But I think in general you can do that. But I guess my caution is just, you know, whatever system you use to derive the the, the reference image. Um, yeah, be- actually, John, I, I think there's zero difference oh, now. Good. Um, okay. Between between you know, a for example, a Snow Leopard install is a Snow Leopard install regardless. Um, the, the only issue is when, uh, a okay. machine comes out after the build that you have, have, you know, created, right? So if it's, let's say, you know, you, you had a machine with uh ten five eight, right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you'd built a boot drive. Well, any machine that could run ten five eight will boot and be happy, uh, from that ten five eight install. However, the new 27 inch iMac, uh, was not built when 10.5.8 was around and, you know, it ships with 10.6.1. So chances are it's not going to boot with that. Now, IMAX, it, you know, if it's the same guts, maybe it will. Right. But but there's no guarantees. And especially we've seen with laptops, uh, new, you know, a, a laptop released after uh, an OS build typically will not. You know, there is a minimum build required for any yep. uh, any OS. Yeah. OK. I was curious, and you you yeah. fulfilled my my needs here. That's what we're here for, man. That's what we do. All right. So Thanks, Paul man. Paul has uh, in the cool stuff found category. Paul has an iTunes related tip. Hey, John and Dave, uh, it's Paul calling from Los Angeles. I came up with a cool trick that I thought I'd share with you and uh, the rest of the listeners. Uh, you guys have helped us all out so many times. I figure. I- found something cool i should uh, pay you back and, and put something out there all right um this has to do with uh i actually almost called you guys to try and solve a problem um came really close to calling you and then kind of stumbled upon the answer when apple released itunes 9 uh let me go back and tell you the problem i was trying to take some mp3s some homebrewed mp3 spoken word uh various things and i wanted to listen to them like I listen to a podcast, and that is on my iPhone or on my iPod to be able to have the nice new, fancy new skip back 30 second button to have the variable speed playback. Um, but I couldn't for the life of me try and figure, figure out how to get an MP3 to act like a podcast uh, within iTunes. The only way I could figure it out is to actually have 
iTunes subscribed to a podcast feed and it blessed it in some way that gave it those properties. Couldn't figure out a way to do it for the life of me and then out comes iTunes 9 and I was just poking around inside and I discovered that uh, there's a new feature. Uh, if you take any music that you have in the music section, any MP3 that you have in the music section, I guess it would work on an AAC as well, get info. Uh, go over to the options tab of that get info window that opens up and you'll see a heading that says media kind and if you click on that tab to choose the different media kinds you now have podcast now there was always podcast there in previous versions of iTunes if I remember correctly but it was always grayed out it was either automatically a podcast if you downloaded it or, or uh, subscribed to it and got it as a podcast but you could never just flip that switch now you can take a, a piece of audio flip it to podcast um, along with that you can then click the button a little bit lower down that says remember playback position you hit OK and it actually gets removed from your music section of iTunes and goes straight into the podcasting uh, section of iTunes, you sync up and you can now do all those fancy tricks with that audio. You can have it play at variable speeds, you can have it uh, skip back 30 seconds. So that's about it. Just wanted to uh, let you guys know about that cool trick I found and uh, thank you in the meantime for doing such a great show. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Paul. That's, uh, that's a killer tip. And, and folks, remember that because I think if we have time, we're actually going to come back around to something that uh, that references what we've learned from Paul. So thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. Our first sponsor for this show is a company that's been with us for a very long time. Smile on my Mac. Today, we're talking about disc label. And what disc label does is it allows you to print inserts for the jewel cases, or even if you build a sleeve for your CD, uh, you can print a little insert for uh, your CD or DVD. Uh, let's say you're making holiday music CDs, right? Well, you could build your compilation in iTunes and then you can build a label uh, that's way better than anything you're ever going to see from iTunes. And you can put your own custom artwork in there. You can print the songs. You can have it uh, do all kinds of things with the text and then out, output it to your printer uh, if you've got a, like I said, if you've got a jewel case, it'll, you can fold it up and put it in there. If you've got one of the taller DVD cases, they, they've got sizes and templates for that too. Uh, you can make, let's say you want to make a mix CD, right? Cause that's a cool thing to do. Uh, and you can put that in maybe as a stocking stuffer. Uh, if you're, you know, we've got the holiday season coming up, of course. Uh, if you want to create, say a movie, uh, you know, you build your you've got all your family photos and, and videos from the year and you, you go into iDVD and you stitch together this really cool, you know, collage of various things. Well, now you want to have a way of printing a, a, a label for the case so that when somebody opens this thing up, they, they've got, you know, a case that's of the same quality as the, the movie and, and collages that you built inside. So disc label from Smile on My Mac at Smile on My Mac dot com. Uh, there is a free trial of the app, and uh, then once you're ready to buy, it's $35.95, and that's for disc label version 6, and all available at smileonmymac.com. So go check them out, and uh, disc label, it's cool. You definitely want to, you know, if you're doing anything like this, you definitely want to take a look. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun app. Uh, so we're still in our tips section here, Pete, and you had a tip that you shared with me a couple of weeks ago and I had intended actually on doing it in last week's show, even though you weren't here and we didn't get to it. So now that you're here, it's like fortuitous yeah, timing. It is. Yeah. I, I stumbled across this quite by accident, but I got the new iPhone three GS and, and sold my old one on eBay for a great price, by the way. So it wound up costing me like 20 bucks to upgrade. Wow. That was beautiful. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I had a nice new case for it and that case lasted about a month and I dropped it and cracked it. And I'm like, Oh, Got to do something else. But the thing that was bothering me about the GS was the battery life. So I went out and I got one of those Mophie juice packs. Oh, yeah. Basically a secondary battery for your iPhone. Keeps it going an extra yeah, an extra day. Yeah. More, you know, it's basically twice the battery life. Right. And right in the booklet, it says, hey. Now, the, you the juice pack is the is the the uh, battery that fits almost like a case around it, the iPhone. Yeah, it's just like a case. Yeah. It's a little thicker than other cases, but not much. I mean, it's hard to notice. Um, it makes the phone a little heavier. 
But again, you know, we're yep. talking the iPhone. It's so so I, wide. I've, I've got one, I, and I yeah. use the juice juice pack when I travel. Sure. It, it fits in the hand okay. It's They're nice, fine. and it's nice when you're traveling because yeah. if you're away from a power source oh, for a while, you right. can do that. You know, leave the three G run and leave the uh, GPS functions running, right. and it's great. Right. Okay. Let's see says, you guys with that. Yeah. How how many? Uh, I'm curious because I have. A product I'd like to mention in a moment, but how many milli would, would it be? Milliamp hours? Uh, I'll look that up while Pete yeah. talks about his tip. Okay, so Great. so anyway, I, I, I buy it and I uh, take it home, and I'm all excited about it because right in the book it says when you connect the cord, it's got a mini USB port on the bottom of it, mm-hmm. and it it fits into there, um, and and the juice pack fits into the base of the phone, which is the standard cord fitting that comes with your iPhone. Anyway, I'm making that the long way around. But the point is, it's going to sync up to your computer when you plug in the mini USB to the bottom of the juice pack and then plug that into your computer. One problem, it didn't. I'm like, well, this is crazy. So I I rebooted the computer, I rebooted the phone, did everything I could think of to make this thing sync up. And no matter what I did, my MacBook Pro would not recognize the iPhone. So I went, well, this is nuts. So I, I turned around, drove back to Best Buy the next day, and said, I want to return it. It doesn't do what it says it does right here on page three of the manual. And, and But I want another one. I really want this product. So I want to go get another one and test it. They're like, yeah, great. Go back there and get it. And I, I, I brought my MacBook Pro with me because I wanted the guy that was in the phone section working with me to see if he had any problems. And so I went up and I had to buy the new one again because they won't open one and test it. You have to buy it and then return it if it doesn't work. I'm like, okay. Well, it turns out the new one I had was an open box product. So it was $15 less. I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. So I go back there and I'm sitting there working with a guy. He goes, oh, no, it works. It syncs right up. And then it didn't. He goes, oh, hold on. So he pulls out his iPhone 3GS and it wouldn't sync up. He goes, I got one in the case. Let's try that. And it wouldn't sync up. And I'm like, you know what? Normally I wouldn't take this, but for 15 bucks less, I want the extra battery power, and I'll just slide the phone in and out of the case and sync it up when I need hmm. to. And I took it home. And being a, a pro traveler, I'm always looking for ways to lighten my load. And one of the ways I decided would lighten my load would be to reduce the number of cables. Like, here, here, oh. comes the, here comes the tip, folks. Here it is. I, got, I pulled out my Kindle USB cable and looked at it and said, oh, that is the same fitting that's on the bottom of that Mophie juice pack. Stuck it in there, stuck it in the computer, and it came right up, synced right up. Yep. And it was great. I was like, okay, so it's the crud cable that comes with the Mophie juice pack. All it will do is charge the phone. Mm-hmm. If you put a decent USB cable with a mini yep. uh, connector on it, it will sync right up with your computer. So here's the thing, though, because sometimes you want that, right? Sometimes sure. you want a cable that's not going to make the phone think that it's connected to sure. a data source. Sure. Right. You know, you don't want it to, to be in that mode. Uh, so so that I mean, they shouldn't tell you that it's going to work and then sh- ship it with a cable that clearly doesn't have data capabilities. But uh, that that I, mm. I have one of those Mophie juice packs and I realized that about the cable, but I use it strategically to be able to plug in. Like if I'm with somebody else's computer and I want to you know charge up or whatever, sure. I don't have to worry about, Oh, you know, is there iTunes going to like whatever it's like, Oh yeah, this is my, this is my, you know, totally dead cable. It's my dumb cable. It's just juice and nothing else. So yeah. Yeah. Very it's interesting. Good. So I did uh, look those up. Um, the Mophie juice pack, the standard one, 1800 milliamp hours. They've got a new one that I just happened to notice on their website called the Juice Pack Air, which they say is thinner and it's 1200 milliamp hours. So with my uh, regular Juice Pack, I've not seen the air. I have been able to essentially fully recharge my iPhone from the dead and bring it up to 100 percent and still have a little bit of juice left on the uh, on the on the on the Juice Pack itself. So. Nice. So All right, go. the one that I like, yep. and then we'll move on, is the Richard Solo 1800. Yeah. Which I got at a recent trade show, which is, uh, as the name implies, 1800 milliamp hours of battery power. So that plugs right into the connector on the iPod Touch and the iPhone, whatever uses that connector, and I bring that as a backup. And well, that's it nice helps too. when your iPod touch. Well, well, the nice thing is, you know, the iPod touch and the iPhone, except for, you know, a few features are pretty much the same. So that's awesome because, yeah, you plug it in and it just says, oh, I'm charging off of something. And you can actually also plug in, which I think with a lot of these devices, you can plug an adapter into the device to charge it while it's charging whatever's plugged right. into it. So, yeah. yeah, all these devices, uh, 
to to kind of flesh out the iPhone battery conversation. If if you plugged power into the device while the device is plugged into your your iPhone or iPod Touch, it will charge the iPhone or iPod Touch first, and then once that hits a hundred percent, then it charges uh, the battery pack. Just just so you know, that's 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 how that works. Yeah. So shame on Apple for an replaceable battery, but the market yeah. deals with it. Yeah. yeah the one thing runner. I don't like about that Richard Solo thing, I had one from Kensington that was the same but thing. But it has a it. laser, dude, yeah, and a flashlight. I know. I mean, dude, the laser, the laser. Yeah, to drain just, that battery. And Rich, and, and you guys know that Richard Solo is, is the guy who originally created Sharper yes. Image, right? So, uh, yes. Or that Richard Solo is the company of the guy, uh, Richard, whatever his name is. But yeah, you know, it, it hangs way off the end, and I can't put it in my pocket. Um, with that mm. big long thing, you know, sticking off of it, and I'm always afraid I'm going to snap the connector when it's like that. So that, yep. but but the nice part about it um, is it will fit on the phone with some cases on. So there's you know, you can yeah. go one one way or another. All well, right, we're, we're not iPhone man. We're, we're no. Mac. Let's get back Come to the on. Mac. So uh, last week we were talking about mail, and we had a listener call in. Who, had, who was having issues where their mail sounds were not working. And we talked through a couple of solutions and then had uh, you folks contact us with a couple more. The first one we got was uh, via Twitter, actually, from Evan. And Evan suggested go into system preferences, go into sound, and then go to the sound effects tab because uh, there is a separate volume slider for sound effects uh, independent of the volume slider for the overall volume. If you set the overall volume to zero, you will not hear sound effects. But if your sound effects volume is set to zero and you bring the overall volume up, you still won't hear sound effects. So it's not entirely independent, uh, but it is uh, it is its own setting. Oh. So you can have your volume cranked, say, for iTunes, but have your sound effects, you know, way down low so that. You know, every time you send mail, if you've got that whoosh, you know, sound, you don't hear that, you know, okay. bl- blazing through your speakers. So uh, his his advice was go in there and make sure your sound effects volume is not sitting at zero. That would be the easy answer. Uh, and then Ken has another option for us. Uh, but first, he wants to scold me. Hey, John and Dave, this is Ken from Anchorage, Alaska. Hey, I was um, calling in regarding to episode 224 about the poor guy who uh, whose mail sounds uh, wouldn't work. And um, I, I was really surprised to hear Dave suggest um, to reinstall the whole operating system just so the guy could get his, his mail sounds back. Oh, Dave. Dave, finger wag, finger wag, finger wag. <laughs> hey, well, that, you know, for just to be fair, that wasn't my first suggestion. It was sort of my last resort suggestion. But... You're right. I didn't think of what you're about to suggest, Ken. Um, what I would try first is maybe uh, restoring the um, the whole OS from Time Machine. I don't know if that's what you were suggesting by a reinstall. Um, but um, obviously, Time Machine lets you go back to previous versions, um, assuming 10.6 and 10.6.1. Um, he did have uh, these mail sounds. The other thing to try would be to, uh, using his Mac OS X um, install DVD, to um, maybe uh, restore mail.app. I think that install DVD has those default uh, Mac apps mm. on there, like iChat and Safari and all that kind of stuff, in case you really um, muck those up someday. I, I Just to be fair, I don't think it has those apps. So uh, if you're hunting for them and you can't find them, that's why. But but here comes the money, the money, the money part here from Ken. Um, you can restore them that way. The other thing you could try would be to um, go to show package contents on mail.app and go into contents resources and then sort by uh, kind. And the, the mail sounds are those four AIFF files in there. And um, one thing you can do is try to either drag or copy those out of that folder and into his library sounds folder um, and then go into the uh, um, mail preferences and select those sound files once they are in there. Um, you might want to try that. Anyway, uh, love the show. Say hi to Pilot Pete for me. Bye. Hi, Pilot Pete. Hey, guys. That's, That's a nice couple comments in me. Uh, I feel wanted and loved. This I know, awesome. man. We had, <laughs> we had a everybody. lot of people asking about you uh, That's the awesome. last couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Ken, thank you. That That's the magic answer right there is go in and... Uh, you know, even if you have to go to another machine, right? Like if I was having this problem, I could call John up and say, hey, man, 
right click on mail app, even though you don't use mail, right click on mail app, go to show mm-hmm. package contents, go into contents resources. And, uh, and then in there, you will find those dot AIFF files as, as Ken pointed out, copy those out. I could then, you know, he could email them to me. I could copy them back. Uh, and, and there you go, you know, software licenses be damned. I don't know. You know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, you know, we both own copies of snow leopard. Let's, let's you know be real. Okay. Uh, so thank you, Ken. And, and thank you for, you know, keeping us honest here. Like we very much appreciate that because you're right. Nuke and pave is not the, uh, it is the end, the last result, but uh, but in this case, we have a much more finely <laughs> it's, tuned. It's, uh, it's throwing in the towel. It is throwing in the towel. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, we had, you know, as often happens, we will get questions in clumps and uh, and and we have two that that are very much related here. Um, the first one is from Michael, uh, both via email, and he says, I have a regular text document placed on the dock. By default, it opens in text edit. However, I would like this file and this file only to open in Mac VIM. The reason being that I have a specific syntax format set up for this file in Mac VIM. Is there a way to achieve this? And yes. Uh, so the, the answer there is hope. Yeah, there is hope. So go ahead, John. You, you take it. Go ahead. I could say that on any file, if you right-click or control-click, I believe, unless you have a multi-button device, which yep. I'm not being going to get started about Apple pointy devices. We will save a rant session for that. I think, I think I've got a magic mouse coming, uh, by the way. But, but Are you keep, serious? Yeah, yeah, really? Keep, keep going. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with you? Anyways, right-click, control-click, get info. From the file open. menu. Yep. Open with. Well, no, no. In the contextual menu. Yeah, you could also do it from the file menu. You could just highlight and go to file Correct. and get info. All three will get you to the same place. And John, that is. And then in the window will be open with. And you will see a list of applications. There will be a default application for that file type, which how Mac OS 10 determines that, that, Dave, I think is a, a deep and arcane and mysterious subject. And it's getting less arcane with Snow Leopard, but I don't want to go there right Excellent. now. Okay, yeah. but we will. You, you know what yeah, I'm talking about. I do. So, so yeah. as many of our geeky listeners, and not so geeky, but you want to be geeky, and, and here's, here's how you become geek. Now, there are many ways a file can identify what made it and, and who should deal with it when, when you ask the operating system, deal with this. Um, it could be... Uh, something lame like an extension, like a dot something, or it could be something buried in the file like Apple has done for a while. But anyways, um, John, (laughs) yes. Are you still with us? Yes, I think so. Okay, good. Yes. Where are we? We're here. So you're changing. So you've got the get info window open. I'm sorry. Get info. Okay. Open with. And then you will see a list of applications. We will not care right now what lists them there, but you can either open with what is listed there by default or in the list. And I think you can also, for the most part, there's a little button that should be lit up saying change all, which means, right, this, <clears throat> excuse me, um, this document, just set this one to open with the default application. Change all, that's a more drastic move, which I think we'll cover in a few moments. So, that is a long, quick. That's right. <laughs> summary of what, what yeah, you're going to so, do there. So the trick here, just to to crystallize this for you, is um, for for you, Michael. You only want one. You only want this file to change. You don't want all your file, all your text files to change. You want everything else to open in text edit. You want this to open in Mac VIM. So for you, you Vim Vim Mac- is what is Vim. Vim is an old uh, it, it's a it's a Mac port of a, an old Unix text editor, I believe. VI OK, app. like Emacs or VI yeah. or something. It's exactly. Oh. It's based on VI. Yeah. Got it. OK. Uh, so for you, you want to choose Mac VIM from the open with drop down, but do not click the change all button. You only want to change it for this file. So uh, so that that's that. And then uh, just to complete the circle, Aaron writes in and says on my power Mac G five. And I don't, I don't, 
I don't believe what I'm about to read, but we'll we'll take it and and the context is is fine. He says on my Power Mac G5, I've got Parallels running, and now in my Finder, it wants to open some files up in Parallels. How do I tell it to open with my Mac and not Windows? I know you can change it by going in and right clicking on them one by one, but all uh, but uh, doing this on so many files would take a long time to do them one by one. Okay. Uh, so uh, for him, he would choose one of the files and there might be a couple of different file types that this is happening with. So you might have to do this three or four times, uh, but with each file that you find that's opening in parallels and you don't want it to go ahead and choose whatever Mac program you want to have open it. And then of course, click change all, and that will change all of the files of that same type. But if there's another type where this is happening, you might have to do it again. Um, it's very common for this to happen for uh, like Adobe uh, people with Adobe Acrobat installed and you decide, no, I don't want Acrobat reader to open for my PDFs. I want preview to open uh, my PDFs. And, and so, you know, off you go. And so. we're not going to talk about the difference between a file suffix or a file type or creator or anything like that. Right. Well, it, uh, yeah, we I'd rather though, do some research on that. It changed dramatically in Snow Leopard. Did it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Because I know it was always convoluted where sometimes, and even when I migrated my MacBook Pro, some files got a bit confused yeah, as to who owned them. And I'm like, no, I, I, I really didn't associate you with the preview <laughs> or something like that. One of the default apps I associated with you, you with you know acrobat and now you're you're lost what happened yeah so yeah uh we'll, so we'll dig i that, think that's good i think uh, yeah, there's a there's an article on on uh ars technica that we will link to in the show notes and then we, we can talk some more about it but uh it's a it's excellent a good, because it's i've a, been confused it, yeah. it's not a showstopper but it's annoying no it's different john john syracuse took took care to d- dig in and uh, as they do over there at ours and, and explain this stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, go through it at some point. I, I, awesome. I, I have a cursory understanding of, of what has changed, but I don't want to go into it here without, uh, without is it a mess. Deeper. It it's, it's not as much of a mess as you think it is when you start okay, digging into good. it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's one of those things. So Excellent. anyway, um, our second sponsor for this show is circus ponies. And Circus Ponies creates an app called Notebook, and they're up to version 3.0. Notebook is a place to organize your various bits and pieces of data and information about common projects. Uh, So let's say you, you want to organize all your recipes and you also want to have a place to organize your notes for, uh, let's say, a family uh, reunion, or maybe you've got Thanksgiving coming up and you're organizing your recipes and, and who you're bringing, you can create a notebook for any topic you want. And then inside that, you can just start typing or you can drag images in or you can drag PDFs in and you can annotate the things that you bring in there. And if you get a fax from somebody, you can scan that fax in uh, and, and OCR it, and, and which means you can take the text that's on the facts and turn it into editable text. Uh, all of this happens inside Notebook, and then you can search. So let's say you've got, you know, you've got Thanksgiving planned, and you know uh, when you're going to get the turkey, and, and uh, you know who's going to bring the cranberry relish, and who's doing this, and who's doing that, and then you think, oh gosh, you know, what's the stuffing? What's the deal with the stuff? Well, you search for stuffing, and bam, you find stuffing inside the Notebook, And you can see, okay, yep, here's the recipe. I've got stuffing here. I've got, you know, it's going to take me 20 minutes to make. And here's the PDF of the recipe all contained inside notebook. Now, of course, you don't have to just do this for Thanksgiving. You could do it for projects you have at work or if you're a student projects at school or really anything you want. They do start you out with some templates uh, to kind of give you an idea as to what's possible in the program, because it is sort of daunting to start with a blank slate. So they take care of that for you. And the other thing they take care of is you don't have to buy it. If you want to try it, you can go to circusponies.com, download a free trial, check it out. And then when you are ready to buy, go back and uh, it's forty nine ninety five for a standard license. If you're a student, you get a break 20 bucks off. It's twenty nine ninety five. And if you want to have a three user license in your home, 
That's $99.95 for what they call a family pack license. All of this at circusponies.com. This is notebook version 3.0. All right. How are we doing on time here, John? Oh, okay. We're, we got, we're, we're doing all right. We can get into some of the questions. Uh, we, we'd sort of set up the show backwards today and put the questions at the end. And, uh, and I like that because it keeps us honest. And uh, of course, I have to keep going through and editing my notes, but that's okay. Uh, Greg? Yeah, let's go to Greg. Let me, uh, let me find Greg out here. There he is. Uh, okay, so Greg says, I have two questions. My first question somewhat relates to sleeping questions that have been asked recently. I have an early 2008 iMac and one of the most recent MacBook Pros, the 13-inch. Sometimes when I'm at home using the iMac, I want to access some files on the MacBook Pro through our Airport Extreme wireless network. I have both computers set to wake on network access, and the MacBook Pro is one that supports doing this wirelessly, which is cool, so that one will wake if I'm trying to access the other. I've noticed that when the lid on the MacBook Pro is open, I'm able to successfully wake the computer remotely and access files as normal. However... If the lid is closed, the connection will time out and I can't access the computer at all. Do you know if this is by design or is there some problem that may be fixed? I would like to work with the lid closed if possible to increase the life of the LCD and backlight, even if it's minimal. In both situations, the MacBook Pro is plugged in. And that's right. The MacBook Pro can be woken up uh, wirelessly, but it has to be plugged into power to do so, if I'm not mistaken. And this is only true of the new, the newest crop of, of MacBook Pros. The rest can be woken wired, but not wirelessly. Uh, but yeah, so the, the reason is, and, and the older MacBook Pros are like this too. If you're trying to wake them remotely, they will not wake up with the lid closed if there is no other monitor plugged in. Um, and, and that's because the, the, the theory is why would you want to wake up a computer if you can't see what you're doing? So without a keyboard or a monitor plugged in, hmm. uh, I don't believe it will wake up. Um, and, that, and that is expected behavior and by design. And here's the other thing. I know these computers, you know, there's a, there's a whole, uh, you know, knowledge-based section about running these computers in lid-closed mode. I've done this. It gets hot, man. I, and I get worried now. I, I know I shouldn't be worried. In fact, I was talking to, to someone who creates a, kind of a dock for, for the MacBook Pro so that you can plug it into a monitor. And they said they've done tests for like the last year on it. And you shouldn't be worried about heat. But I, I, I worry about heat. It's just kind of how I roll. So what do you what do you think, John? Well, I got to say, for example, on on my current um, MacBook, the bar between above the function keys, I don't know if you've noticed, that gets very, very, very warm. Well, oh, that's where the process machine apart. Yeah. That's where the heat sinks and the heat bars and yeah. whatever, whatever you want to call the, you know, the heat dissipation in that machine. The fans. We that's where it fans. is. Yeah. And it's near the fans, but it's also this metal bar that is between the screen and the keyboard because you're probably not going to touch that. But if you do, you will notice it is extremely hot. Yeah. And I'd worry about cooking the screen with that. And I'm with you in in having the lid closed, even though the fans are functioning and that blows out the back of the machine. Yep. Having that heat source pressed against your screen. Yeah. makes me a bit uneasy. So I, I'd be hesitant to run any portable machine with the lid down. But but it, it just, just to be fair, it is Apple will warranty your machine. If sure, your machine sure. cooks and it's like that and you're under warranty and you tell them I cooked it because I, I ran it closed, they'd say, oh, well, that shouldn't happen. Here's a new machine or they'd fix, you know, whatever, whatever they needed to fix it. So I'm with you. you uh, I, I have never done it and I, I don't think I'd be. <laughs> so that's just, hey, that's how I roll. But, it, you know, but so. by design, you can't run it lid closed without a uh, without a screen attached. So. Uh, So that that is question number one. My second question, Greg says, Mm -hmm. also deals with my MacBook Pro. When I purchased the computer, the Apple saleswoman told me that I should always try to let the battery run down as much as possible before charging it. She said that if any work needed to be done in the future, a Mac genius may look at the cycle count in the system profiler to see if any excessive charging had occurred. I know that Apple has specified the battery to last about a thousand cycles. My questions are as follows. What constitute a cycle of the battery? And two, is there some percentage that I should allow my battery to get down to before charging? Are there any other best practices that I and or the rest of the Mac Geek Gab community should be aware of? 
of which we should be aware, right? Are we going <laughs> to turn that around make my English teachers happy? All right. Uh, forget the English teachers now. Let's just answer the question. Uh, so a, a, I, I got to laugh at the statement excessive charging. Come on. I don't even know what that means. That's that's like no. that old Saturday Night Live skit, right? You know, you, you can you can never put too much water on a nuclear reactor, you know, and then the guy what? left for vacation, right? What are you talking about? <laughs> right, and you, and nobody anyways, knew what to do. So, yeah. Anyway. All right, I'm going to give my off-the-cuff opinion here, but but the charge cycles is when you reach the maximum capacity of the battery, it sets the charge cycles to 1. But not if it hasn't gone all the way down. So are you implying, and I don't know this, let us know, folks, Yeah, that it has to go all the way to zero because I it has really to. It has that. to get, I, it, I think it's got to get below either 10 or 5% and then charge oh, all the, the red way zone. Up. It's got to get which, into the red when zone. We say the red zone is where it, if you use the battery icon in your menu bar, which you may not, and if you don't, you should. <laughs> you really should. Wow, we're going to levy the guilt upon you, man. Thou shalt use the battery icon. <laughs> but it will turn red when, as they pointed out, you're below a certain threshold, whether it be capacity or time, right. saying your battery's in bad shape. And then eventually you'll get the alert saying, I'm sorry, man, I'm really going to shut down, so you better you know, do something about this quick. Right. Um, so... Uh, I, I would really like to, we should research this. I, I'm convinced when it gets to full charge, that is a charge cycle. But, yeah, but, I'm, but I'm wondering if what no, you're it's, saying. It's not a full cycle because I've had batteries for for okay. like a year and a half and it's had, you know, 20 something cycles on it because I, I haven't right. been good and I haven't let it charge down. And it, it does get right. to, you know, 98 percent and then back up. So, no, a full okay. a, a cycle. It, it's got to get down at least into the red zone. Right. And then and then right. you're right. Go back all the way to 100. So what I'll say is my my MacBook uh, Pro here, about, uh, same one as you have, Dave. Yep. I currently show 220 charge cycles and it lists lists that as 55 percent of battery life remaining for charge cycles. So interesting. This battery has about 400 whatever charge cycles. Yeah. Um. I'm using battery health monitor, which is one tool to show you these figures because it will tell you within the capability of this program yeah. and it lists capacity um, in milliamp hours, charge in milliamp hours, and also charge cycles that it's been through. And it appears that there's a threshold where if you reach that, like in this case, it shows, you know, after 200 more charges, my charge cycles will be shot. It, but is that or, or is that Apple's number that? or is that this this app's number? This is this app reporting what the battery says to it. So it's like, dude, I've done this. Yeah, okay. That's my See, understanding because my battery is battery. My battery is at sixty nine cycles. Yep. So okay. Yep. Yeah. Whatever that means, but I but I know it's been to you know ninety five and back up many more times than that in the you know in the whatever it is two years that we've had it. Yeah, and it's weird, actually, because only with Snow Leopard in the battery menu, we love the battery menu. And we're, we're, I'm going to talk about it a little more, but on occasion, I have seen in the battery menu, it has a little, you know, one of those caution signs, Dave. Yeah. And it says battery. I wish I had a screenshot, but it says like, you know, battery malfunction or not malfunction. But no, I've got it. My, mine, mine says you've it. You've seen that fact. too. No, in I Snow have Leopard. It. it says battery warning. And, and when you go to it, it brings up a help page saying you may want to go to your Apple store and talk to them because it seems your battery is messed up. Yeah, I actually have to. I have to do that because my battery on my MacBook Pro, I, I, I used uh, screen sharing to go. Look at it just now, and it actually yeah. says service battery right there in the service menu. battery. That's it. You got that too. But the thing is, I've seen it come and go, and I'm nervous. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't come and go on mine. And and really, where it okay, comes then your from, battery's shot. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing. If you look in System Profiler and you go into the power setting, yep. uh, you see a bunch of information at the top under the battery information category, and on mine. And I'm curious to hear what yours says, John. On mine, it says my full charge capacity is 3,384 milliamp hours. Now, this was over 5,000 milliamp hours when I got the machine. So um, my, my 
full battery capacity is much lower than it should be. Mm-hmm. Right? What's yours at? Um, system profile on my MacBook Pro. Yeah, go into System Profiler. Well, I'm here on. All right, we'll do System Profiler. Yep. And then click on Power under the Hardware uh, tab section, and then and then you'll see Battery Information, and it'll tell you what your full charge capacity is. Fully charged. Charge uh, full charge capacity forty three thirty seven. Yeah, and if forty three twelve fully charged no charging yes yeah. So your your battery's capacity is thirty percent more than mine, and I think Hmm. yours is probably about a thousand milliamp hours down from where it was when you got it. My I remember mine being at like fifty one when I got my machine. So so the the capacity of the battery, as happens with all batteries dies over time because uh, i have two and the oh right and the best well, I, thing you I, can I swap do, them based on charge cycles so okay. i look at that and whenever they they get close i i flip them mm. interesting yeah so it and the best thing you can do and john you're taking better care of your batteries than i am uh you because you are cycling them more frequently than i cycle mine uh and that that is what you know you don't want to do it three times a day if you don't have to but uh, but certainly at least once a month and probably based on what I'm seeing with mine more than that, uh, maybe maybe once a week is uh, is a good, you know, a, a good thing to do. Is, is that about what you say you do, John? Would, would you say you cycle through, uh, you know, all the way down to zero at least once a week? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, sometimes overnight and then I'll leave it overnight to, to charge during yeah. the day. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Uh, all right. Where are we? We are on to Alex. And Alex has an interesting question. And I think we have a, an interesting answer. Hi, John and Dave, and maybe Pilot Pete. This is Alex in Berkeley. Love the show, as always. Uh, as a convert from Windows, one thing that pops up now and again is a minor annoyance. is something I used to be able to do in the other OS that I can't seem to do on my Mac. And that is renaming in the save dialog. Occasionally, when I'm saving a file, I'll realize that another file in the target directory has the wrong name, or perhaps I want to rename it by appending old or something so I can use that file's name for the newer file that I'm saving rather than just overwriting it. Uh, But there doesn't seem to be a way to do any manipulation um, in the save dialog box itself. So I would have to... Uh, consequently keep the save dialog box open and then go to finder and do the rename and then go back to the save dialog box and save the file. I've poked around and haven't found any answers. Um, uh, Also, while I'm uh, saving my shekels for Pathfinder, which uh, looks great, by the way, uh, and I'm happy they're a sponsor of the show, uh, I don't think it works inside the save dialog box, so I assume that's not going to solve this issue. Um... I'm running Leopard on a prior model MacBook. So, guys, is there a solution for what I'm looking for here, or uh, is it in Snow Leopard? Um, thanks, and you can cut me off here. It, you know, so when I heard this question, John, I thought, well, of course he can rename in the in the save dialog, and and I popped up a save dialog, and I right clicked on a file name that I saw, you know, in the in the list there, and and there's an option to rename, and I thought, well, yeah, he must be missing something, and then it hit me, it was like. Oh, wait a minute. Let me try this on another machine. And so I screen shared into another machine and I tried it and it wasn't there. And uh, I'm guessing you'll probably try it, Pete, and it's not there. Uh, nope. But uh, you're, nope. You're, nope. OK, good. Uh, and and what I realized was I have been using default folder on my you know main Mac for so long that I have become completely reliant on it. And this is one of those things. So default folder uh, if you've never used it, is a program that enhances open and save dialogs in many ways. It adds uh, a bunch of different um, options over to the kind of hanging off the right of an open and save dialog where you can pull up recent folders. You can pull up all the folders that are open in the finder. So if you had a folder open in the finder, but your open and save dialog isn't there, you can immediately map it there. If you have a folder open in the finder, instead of navigating to it, you can click on it in the finder 
and it'll bring your open and save dialogue there. And that to me is one of the most compelling features of this it's, is that what you see on the desktop is linked to what the dialogue you're trying to wrangle with yes. is asking you for. It's like, where do you want to go? Oh, well, I'm going to trudge there. through yeah. the usual, you know, bogus, you know, folder, whatever dialogue. I'm sorry. It's, it's just not a quick way to do it. How about what I see? So, so to me, that, that's always been one of the most compelling features about default folder to yep. me. Now, it's not free. I, I forget how much it is. I think it's like 30 bucks. Yeah, um, it's from St. Right. Clair Software, which is S-T-C-L-A-I-R-S-O-F-T dot com. And, of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, but uh, but I, I don't know. It, and there's a I'm sure there's a free trial of it because it's software. And that's how that's how you do it when you're a Mac software developer. But uh, I, I don't know if there's anything freely available that perhaps is less full featured than default folder or, or, or not. Uh, I've, like I said, I've been using it since, you know, since Mac OS nine. So I, I honestly have not looked for anything well, else. I just keep paying well, my, my money every time they ask me for it. And I'm, I'm happy. Okay. But so. what came to me is that he, he said the save dialogue. Now to me, there's the save dialogue and the save as dialogue. But if you listen to his comment, John, he was okay. looking to rename other files in that list Okay. He said, you know, when I'm when I'm uh, going in and I notice there's another right. file that I want to change the name oh, of okay. or I want to save it as the same name of a file that's in there, but rename the the existing one to old so I don't have to overwrite. Right. Yep. So so he's looking to manipulate things from within the dialogue and and default folder will do it either uh, mm. in save or or in open dialogues. It You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, huh. all right. So yeah, if anybody out there knows of anything that's freely available, please, please let us know. Uh, cause I'd always like to share that sort of stuff too. Uh, but, uh, but, but default it, uh, and, and then they're not a sponsor of the show. Um, but default folder is an app I couldn't possibly live without. So, uh, you know, I highly recommend it if that's what you're looking for. All right. Um, you know, We've got a lot of stuff, and there's nothing quick here. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in the band, John. I think, think? I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because otherwise, we're gonna go and and go and go and go. Um, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to look at our our uh, our thing here. Yeah, there's just uh, uh, you know what? Let's do let's do Chris. I, I like this. This is mm-hmm. this is this is interesting. Hey, John and Dave, this is Chris. Um, I was recently at the Apple Store, and I'd have problems with my keyboard. The Z X C V B N M comma and period keys, and the left hand command key were all not working. Um, Apple said it must have been a bad keyboard, and said it was going to be about two hundred dollars to replace. So I went online, being out of out of warranty and bought a new keyboard and replaced it myself and took it back into the Apple store because after the repair it was doing the same exact thing which led me to think that it was either software or the logic board and they had told me that it was damaged because I had improperly reinstalled the new keyboard and that they wouldn't even fix it so I was wondering is it possible this could be software problems or is it most definitely just a logic board problem, but I didn't know if maybe there was a relationship between that bottom row of keys or not. Any hope would be much appreciated. This is where you cut me off. Hey, John. Oops, I started him again. Okay, dude, it's absolutely a hardware problem. Unless it's software. There was no... (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't help. There was no way you could have that collection of keys all malfunction without it being a hardware problem. And the reason I say this is, is... as follows, uh, at least when uh, when I looked at keyboards and the way keyboards work, to me it almost indicates to me that a row or column strobe that talks to the keyboard saying, hey, anybody pressing a key is damaged. And just that whole group is damaged to me seems too weird for software to I, figure out how to even make it I, do yeah. that. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, you know, it, that would the only way that that would be not the only way, the most probable way that it would be software is uh, is if it were a virus. Right. I mean, if somebody were just trying to mess it's with you. It's too weird. Yeah. So, yeah. 
again, because they're all together. Now, if they were scattered about, I'd say it's, you know, based on something like I did recently, which is the whole liquid based right. attack. Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, he replaced they're all in the same place. Uh, I got to almost say it's an electrical electric. the elect, electrical. Oh, that's, a, that's electrical, John. Elect- Talk much, John. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so sorry, thinking too fast. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's a it's a problem with with the context on that you know uh, row in the keyboard. Uh, it, well, except that he's replaced the keyboard, and he has the, exactly the, connector, the same problem. The, and and the that connector. the connector. Then I'm sorry. Yeah, and and I think that's right. I did find an old discussion about PowerBook keyboards, uh, uh, you know, on the on the uh, Apple discussion site there, and they talked about it being a bad connector and what these people were doing. Uh, what they found was if they took the machine apart and and really kind of applied some pressure to the, the connector and then put it all back together, it would work for a little while. And then it would come jarred loose and they'd have, you know, a very similar problem yeah. uh, on the power books. And again, now this gets into the layout of the machine. But a bunch of people found that taking uh, one of the RAM chips out, if they had a very thick RAM chip in the second slot, uh, that was causing this to, you know, maybe warp a little bit inside the, the computer and pop this connector out and cause That's this problem. Close. So, yeah. So to clarify, what I worked on before is that when I replaced my keyboard, there was a connector slash clamp, pressure clamp, I'll call it, where you had to put the keyboard power lead into another part of the machine and it was not only a connector but it had a little thing that that kind of hinged and you had to press it down to apply pressure so the ribbon cable would be connected to the 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 circuit board right and because of that right and and it didn't look very stable i mean it was it, it seemed very fragile so that's why i'm wondering if one of those or in another part of the machine, if if you don't have one of those cables making a good connection, like if it's just a little bit loose, then you're going to lose a row or column of keys, which, right. uh, it, again, it just sounds too weird. So uh, there's, yeah, some issues, I think. If you put the keyboard back together and you don't get it quite right, which I can certainly <laughs> empathize with. But, it, you know, my, happen. My, my guess is uh, if... If reseating that keyboard connector doesn't work for you, Chris, it is the logic board. And yeah. and that gets to be a very expensive repair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if Apple won't touch it now because uh, because you've admitted to opening it, well, you could you could go somewhere else. Right. Go to a different Apple store. They probably don't have it logged. Um, alternatively. <laughs> right. Why not? Are we uh, saying don't get caught? Yeah, or we're, saying, to we're a, saying, or if you got caught, go somewhere else where they, they aren't going to catch you. We haven't caught you yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, I believe that there are a class of people, Apple authorized service exactly. providers. Yeah. And, and they'll be not Apple stores. No, they, they do operate under a license from Apple. So, right. so they, they, they know what they're doing, but right. you hope. No, they definitely, my experience with them has been great. Um, uh, yeah, Pete, Pete had a, a strange issue with one locally that we don't really had a cracked screen, but yeah. a, a, on the machine when I got it back, but Apple customer service stepped totally up to the plate and, re, and yeah. fixed it. Yeah, that's $400 true. repair job. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, Apple authorized repair, or if you don't want to go to a, a service center, uh, you could you know send it off to a, 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 a tech restore, or, you know, Mac Fix It, or, or not Mac Fix It, mm-hmm. that's the website, uh, Mac Rescue, sorry. Uh, so, all right, you know, I, I do want to do Charlie's comment here and we do have time for Go. it, John. Okay. So Charlie has two quick questions. Number one, I have iTunes university content, audio and video in my iTunes library from several years ago. I see that iTunes nine now has an area in the client for iTunes. U. how do I move my iTunes university content currently under podcasts and movies into the correct iTunes U area in the new client? I tried moving it manually and nothing happened. So, uh, If you don't have any iTunes U content, you probably don't have this feature turned on. But if you do have it, it appears in iTunes 9 just like uh, as another heading like music, movies, podcasts, uh, TV shows. There's just an iTunes U comment uh, or section in there. And once you have it enabled, then we can jump back to uh, Paul's tip from the beginning of the show where you highlight the content. You choose get info and you can highlight multiple shows at once if you want. Choose get info from the, I believe, file menu, go to the options tab, go to media kind, 
And uh, that's where you can choose. Uh, Paul was talking about setting things to be a podcast, but iTunes, you does show up in that list. If iTunes, you content is enabled in, uh, in your iTunes. So, and, and, uh, and that will bounce the stuff over there for you, Chris. Uh, sorry, Charlie, I'm getting everybody's names confused. Uh, number two, unless you have something on that, John. None. Good. Uh, what a program in <laughs> your experience or the listener's experience is the best speech to text program for the Mac repetitive stress issues in my wrists and forearms are forcing me to seriously consider looking at this application area. Uh, for me, the only one I've ever used on the Mac is Mac speech. I haven't used it a whole lot, but, uh, but it, it's worked very, very well. And I've heard lots of people talk and, and say good things about it. Happy to have comments from the listeners about uh, either Mac speech or, or other products, but uh, that's that's the one I would steer you towards. I, I you know, like I yes. said, I don't use it every day, so I, I have hard pressed to say recommend. But I don't think I, I haven't heard of anything better out there for the Mac. So. I've the people that I talk to uh, on Twitter and other venues that use this sort of thing that seems to be the best solution. I would just say, don't get your hopes up. It's not Hal, and actually, it probably right. shouldn't be Hal. Yeah, that would be because <laughs> Hal thing. wants to kill you. <laughs> Um, but still, it, it, uh, from what I've seen, I, I've done speech recognition research for a number of years. A system that you can train, yeah, even minimally, is the one that's going to and with an idea of what you're going to say. Like if you're going to say numbers or well, whatever, if it knows roughly what you're going to say and you've trained it to your voice, you're going to get as good as you're going to get with today's technology. Again, we're not going to get to hell. We're not getting to you know, bio computers and stuff. And they basically are doing pattern matching. And, and right. the, the problem is people don't always talk the same. Right. So, you know, they, they do the best they can. They average out the results. But, uh, you know, uh, again, if you're doing numbers or, or repetitive tasks or predictable tasks and you can pick your vocabulary, they can work very, very well. And I've seen that almost 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things about Max Speech. So that... it. That, that's definitely the first one I'd check out. But if anybody else has any any comments on that, actually, I'd, I'd love to, to kind of go into a little bit of that here on the uh, on the show. So we will we look to you and we appreciate it. But Dave, if you want to look to us, oh, my gosh, we didn't even mention this, did we? No, but we will now. Because, How to contact us. And, you know, Dave, the first thing I think when I want to contact the Mackie Gab, I want to pick up the phone or my iPod. Or whatever. But no, if I pick up the phone, I want to dial 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. Or you can create an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Dave, I, I thought I heard you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com, but I just want to make sure that's oh, exactly what you said. Oh, you heard me right. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can type text in the email. You can put pictures in the email. You can put an audio comment in the email. You can put all three because we are multimedia operation here, folks. This is first class. That's right. So uh, you can even record that audio with your iPhone using the voice memo app. And uh, and I think quite a few of the comments in the show tonight uh, came in that way. But, you know, you can even record them with the microphone on your Mac. It's good sound Multi- better what's this what's going on just cracking me up okay multimedia that's just such an arcane term oh that's right we're a full service operation here man <laughs> uh and, and i'm willing to go back 10 years and use a watchword that's uh that's no longer popular you know what? I, i'm that kind of guy uh you can see the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. You can follow us on Twitter, and uh, and a lot of you do, and, and and interact with us there, and it's a great place to, uh, a great venue for that. Uh, you can follow John on Twitter. He is Twitter.com slash John F. Braun. I am Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. Pete is Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete. Yeah. And you can follow the show comments as a whole at Twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. Uh, and also twitter.com slash Mac Observer. So I think there's your, your that'll that'll keep you busy on uh, on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, and uh, you can Skype us to Mac Geek Gab. And I think did I did I cover it all, John? You got it, brother. All right. Uh, I am going to be. I am not presenting, oh. but I'm going to be in. It just so happens that I'm going to be in Austin on December eighth, which is the date of their December uh, Cap Mac meeting. I believe Bob Levitis 
is the presenter uh, that night, Doctor Bob. Doctor Bob. But I will be there in attendance, and uh, and it's a they're a great bunch of folks there. I know quite a few of them personally, and uh, and I will be there. So if you're going to be in town, uh, come on out. And if you're there, say hi. I always like to nice. uh, to meet we folks. We did a, so. uh, a session with them, I think, in Austin. I don't. Oh, maybe not. Maybe no. another group. Yeah. Uh, iPhone Alley, as I mentioned before, is Michael Johnston's site. He converts this show to AAC for you. Cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Disc Label from Smile on My Mac, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Pathfinder 5 from Cocotech, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, you got anything, uh, any parting words of wisdom here? Good night. <laughs> oh, oh, set your clock. Oh, what are you supposed to do? Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, we had so much fun. It's with... daylight savings time. No, Dave. no, saving time. I know. It's over, though. It's, it's We don't have that anymore. And it's not plural. <laughs> and we had so much fun setting them back an hour and getting that extra hour of sleep this weekend we're doing it again oh yeah oh, awesome yeah. whatever you do though don't get caught may not